At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. Lamentations 3, beginning verse 1. I'm the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He's made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He's made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. And though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He's made my paths crooked. He's a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces, and he has made me desolate. He bent his bow and sent me as a target for his arrow. He's driven into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He's made my teeth grind on gravel and has made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, your, your word, your voice to us today. We thank you that you have spoken and you've given us words to, to cry out and to lament, and to feel anguish of our souls. And so, Lord, we pray that we would receive these words, that we would hear them, and that we would express them in our own sorrow and affliction well. Help us to see the, the reality of your never-ending love for us. And as we, as we hear your word today, would your spirit change us and shape us and put our eyes on you today? Help us so that we grow and that we love you more and even give us the capacity deeper to lament and to grieve and to express our sorrow because you are our great Savior. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Together we pray. Amen. What do you say when almost every child in your town is, is wiped out in a day by an accident of incompetence and negligence? How do, you, how, do you, how do you express that grief? Who do you blame? What do you do to process the sorrow and the, and the agony and the grief and even the anger that, that exists in your heart? How would you respond in that? This last week, I found out a story about a village in Wales, Aberfan, Wales, that in October of 1966, 
this village experienced an unthinkable tragedy. The, the community was a coal mining community, and uh, early in the week there had been a significant amount of rainfall that had happened, and, and one of the coal deposits, called a slurry, slipped, and, and like a giant landslide, it collapsed entirely into the town itself. Uh, the children of the town were gathered at school as they should be. It was, it was about nine in the morning just after that. And so they were beginning their day in school. And this landslide of coal just rushed into their building, buried alive many of the children in the school. And the fatality rate was 144 people in that community killed. 116 of those 144 were children, small children. I, I learned about this story from watching the Netflix series, The Crown, and, and the, the, the story was told in a way to kind of demonstrate the emotional state of the queen and her family in the midst of a national tragedy, something that was, was very, very difficult. The, the history matches up with what the story told as well. The queen was very hesitant, almost lacking emotion at all to express any compassion or sorrow or, or solidarity with the people. She, she repeatedly told her advisors she would not visit the site. That wasn't her job. It wasn't her thing to do. The best that she could do in her mind was put out a press release and just say, we're really sorry and we're, we're grieving with you. But it seemed like nothing more would come from the royal office. Within a day or two, the prime minister of England was there in Wales at the site to comfort and to be with those experiencing the tragedy. A few extended members of the royal family even showed up to, to be compassionate themselves, but, but the queen would not go. She, she wouldn't be there. A week later, her husband Philip decided he would go and, and that he would be a part of the, the funeral ceremony there. He would at least visit and attend the funeral. And at this funeral, there was a mass funeral, 81 of the victims, children victims, were there and they were laid out in their coffins on the side of the hill. Philip witnessed how a community grieved and processed the pain of that significant loss. Uh, the show writers were really clever about how they discussed the interaction between the queen and her husband once he got home and experienced that. And, and if I could just capture a little of it for you, when, she, when he returned back to Buckingham Palace, she asked him, how, how was it? How was it? And he, he replies to her and he says, it's ex it was extraordinary. Not necessarily the answer I would think you would give, but he said, it was extraordinary. The grief, the anger at the government, at the coal board, but at God too. He said to her, 81 children were buried today and there was rage in all the faces, behind all the eyes. She wanted to know, well, how did they express that rage? How did he, how did he see it? How did he feel it and know that that, that that agony was there? She asked, what did they do? He said, they, well, they didn't smash things up. They didn't fight in the streets. She again pressed, what did they do? He said, they sang. The whole community. It's the most astonishing thing I've ever heard. Now, it sounds unusual for us to think about a significant tragedy like this. 116 children killed in a moment, buried alive. And to hear that a community processes their anger and their grief and their sorrow with singing? That doesn't seem to fit. How do those two work? 
Well, I looked at the, the history of that event and that funeral, and it was actually that they did sing together. They expressed their sorrow in song, and it was the power of what we've been talking about these last few weeks, the power of lament, Christian lament, turning our anger and our sorrow and our grief into singing. How, how do we do that? How do, how do we find the capacity in, in our hard days, in our dark nights of the soul, when, when things are the worst for us, when we have lost and we experience the anguish of the moment, how do we turn our grief and our anger and our sorrow into, into singing? Lament allows us to hope. Lament gives us the capacity to take our sorrows to the Savior and to say, here's how bad it is, but here's who you are and to be able to trust and depend on God. We're in this six-week series in the book of Lamentations. We're coming right to the middle of the book itself, the high point, if you will, of Lamentations. If there is a high point in lamenting, it's right here. This book is five poems. It's, it's songs, you could say, about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem in 587 B.C., Think about singing these kinds of songs. They're, they're heavy, they're hard. Each poem has a very detailed, sophisticated artistry behind it in its literary form. The, the poet, maybe Jeremiah the prophet, has taken extreme effort to write this as well as he could and to, to catalog the sorrows and the sufferings of the people of Jerusalem. Chapters 1 and 2, as we've seen, are all downward. There's no hope. There's no light. There's no joy in them. Everything is sorrow and affliction. A few of you said to me, like, this is a really hard series to listen to, but it's there and it's real. When we come to this third chapter, we reach a point where things begin to turn. Really, you could say we reach the pinnacle of our grief, as if we've been climbing out up a mountain of despair, and we get to the top, and what are we going to find there? We're going to find a Savior who allows us to hope and to sing again, even in the midst of our sufferings, even when we're at the bottom, when there's no more rope for us. We're going to spend two weeks here in chapter three, and and so in this week, I want to just help us to see how lament helps us to hope, and and to give us a capacity to be able to to lament ourselves as Christians, to, to express our sorrow, to express our grief and to turn and to find hope. And I want to help us see in this text two things we must do to to be able to lament well and to be able to find our hope in God in this. The first way that we would lament in order to hope is, is to acknowledge our affliction. We have to come to terms with the sorrow and the grief and the hardship that's in front of us. We have to start by being real with our pain and affliction, and we have to be real to God about it. These, these lamentations, these songs are prayers to God. They are God-inspired words for us to take and to be able to say back to God, here's what we're feeling. Here's how it goes. You see, lament is a form of prayer. It's a, it's a cry of despair and pain towards God about the circumstances that we're enduring and the situations of our lives. Many think that the Christian life should just be some sort of life of of victory and triumph and happiness and smiles. We should somehow suppress or downplay or or sugarcoat real pain and suffering. We say trite things to one another when when a family member or someone close to us dies. We, We as Christians can sometimes say, well, just remember they're in a better place. And we we minimize the agony 
and the hardship of what we're experiencing. But, but that's not true of the Christian faith itself. Remember, we worship a Savior who suffered and died. His, his crucifixion was the central event to our faith. And so, so we have to say to God, here, here the pain is real, and we're under your heavy hand. Jeremiah, he, he, he tells God of his affliction. He, he goes right to God and opens up deeply about it. You see there in verse 1, he, he, he brings it all to him. He, furthermore, he's... he's declared and talked about the pain of Jerusalem as a, as a woman who's in her suffering and, and agony. And now he focuses it and he says, I'm the man who's seen affliction. He, he turns and he, he personalizes it and he says, here I am in the, in the center of this. I'm the man who's seen this affliction. I'm the one who's been under the rod of your wrath. And so in verses 1 through 18, the poet, he, he begins to catalog what the suffering is like. He's just laying bare his afflictions and he's directing it to God. He's saying, God, here, this is how it feels with you and me right now. Here, here's what I think of you and how you've treated me. Notice, notice what he says. I'm the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He's, he's just saying, God, you're against me. It's like you've brought out your rod and you're, you're, you're beating me and, it, and it's painful and it hurts. The, these early verses of chapter 3 in, in some way are kind of the upside down version of Psalm 23. Psalm 23, you may remember, the Lord is my shepherd. He takes me beside, to green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. My, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. He prepares for me a feast in the presence of my enemies. Well, well, Lamentations 3, 1 through 6, it's like the upside down of that completely. No, there's not God with his, his gentle staff correcting and directing me. No, here's God with his rod hitting me. He's driving me into darkness. Instead of being led to green pastures, he, he has brought me and driven me away, taken me to darkness without any light. I'm under the rod of his wrath. He Verses four through six, he, he describes more than just physical affliction. He, he talks more than just about the body suffering, but about the whole of his humanity suffering. He's made my flesh and my skin waste away, broken my bones. He talks about the mental hardship, his mental health breaking, filled with anxiety. I'm besieged and enveloped with bitterness and tribulation. As if I'm poisoned, he says. There's nothing but, but sorrow and hardship. Even the dark cloud of depression comes over him. He says, I dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. This is just how he feels about how God is acting to him. Not in the green pastures, not in the still waters, not in the peace and shalom of God's goodness, but in, in the reality and the realm of God's punishment and judgment. Everything is decay. Everything is death. Everything is darkness. Oh, catch again here, he's directing this to God and he's saying, this is, this is how it feels. Here's my affliction. Here's what it's like, God. Verses seven through nine, the metaphor changes. is God being the jailer. He says, I'm in prison. He's walled me about. I can't escape. My chains are heavy. I call and cry for help. He, he shuts out my prayer. I, he says, I try and lift my voice and he just, he doesn't even hear it. He, he speaks over it. It's not even there. 
He's blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He's made my paths crooked, like a trip at every moment I fall. I'm, I'm hurt. There's no straight paths. He takes it another level deeper and extends to a different metaphor in verses 10 through 12. God is like an apex predator. He's out to hunt his prey. The bear lies in wait for me. The lion in hiding. I'm cornered. God's going to get me. He's going to destroy me. He turned aside my steps. He's torn me to pieces. He's made me desolate. And then God is the hunter. He's bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. This is how he feels. This is his affliction and his sorrow. He's like, God, this hurts. You're against me in every way. And he finally comes down to just utter humiliation and agony. Verses 13 to 18. God has drove into my kidneys the arrow of his quiver. The pain is sharp and acute. I become the laughing stock of all peoples. I'm mocked, the object of their taunts all day long. He's filled me with bitterness. He's sated me with wormwood. It is that, that idea of poison. He's just at the bottom, the bitterest of experiences. He's made my teeth grind on gravel. His face is in the dirt, broken, and there's no peace or prosperity. Soul is lacking in peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. The word happiness in the Hebrew has the idea of good or prosperity. Like there is no good anymore. There is no sunshine. There is no prosperity. There is no flourishing. And so I say, my endurance has perished. And so has my hope from the Lord. I'm at the end of my rope, he says. My, my patience and trusting, it's, it's all gone. It's worn out. I have nothing left in the tank. I don't even have hope. It's gone. My hope from the Lord is extinguished. Now, see you here that this lament is an example for us in our own laments. It's here by the whole inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We have recorded agony and affliction. And as Jeremiah categorizes this for us, he's helping us express to God, here's how we feel in our suffering. Here's the realities that we need to acknowledge. When we lose out, when we lose big, when suffering hits us in deep ways, it shouldn't be something that we just suppress and minimize and say, you know what, I can't feel this. The power of, of what God gives us here in his word is for us to take our pain to him and to acknowledge it and to say, I'm, I'm a human being and I'm the one under affliction right now. I've seen it. I feel like, God, I'm under the rod of your wrath in this moment. We as Christians today are often pain adverse. Frankly, it's really death adverse, I think, but, but pain adverse. We want our Christianity to be happy filled with joy. We want it to be daisies and roses and everything beautiful, and we don't want to deal with what's right in front of us. And I get it. Most often, we don't want to come to church and bring in the sorrow that we feel and just leave with the sorrow, but we have to confront it. I think it's disconnective if we come facing hardship in a week We've gotten bad news about our health, or we've lost a job, or we've suffered through a global pandemic, or, or any of those things, and we don't suffer and cry and say, this just doesn't make sense. It hurts. 
And, and so what we do is we, we find coping mechanisms to deal with, with our problems, ways to kind of divert our attention or get us to think about something else so that we don't have to come full-faced with our agony and our pain. Think about even the way that we use language to kind of divert attention from pain. More often than not, I hear when someone has lost a loved one, someone's loved one dies, we, we express it in this way. We say they've passed away. Why don't we just say they died? We, we bring up the term passing away because it sounds gentle. It's less harsh. It's not as final. And, and like a wispy fairy of some sort, they just kind of float it off. But the reality is death hurts. Death is, is painful, and, and yet we use our language just to kind of cover the pain of our hearts. We'll self-medicate with alcohol or drugs or, or binge Netflix so much that we don't have to come face-to-face -face with the trials and the affliction. We're told to wash our face, be happy, upbeat, play something positive, encouraging, but, but don't reflect on the hardship. And that's not Christian lament for us. The Word of God here points us to see and to acknowledge our suffering and affliction. At one point during the, the lockdown last spring, we were live streaming services and I was preaching from my living room and recording that off. I found myself at one point, several points, but at one particular point in a really heavy day. It was a sad and emotionally dark day for me. And I know as hard as it is for you to listen to me live uh, preach a sermon and how awkward that can be, imagine me watching myself preach to me uh, from my living room on a Sunday morning. And, and so there I was listening to the sermon going, wow, this is just, this isn't right. This isn't, this isn't the way it should be. I want to be together with the church family. And, and I was just depressed and angry and upset. And so I, I walked out of the living room after the online service and just started to walk around my neighborhood. And as I walked, I got to a point in the neighborhood where there's not as many houses. And I just lifted up my voice to God and I yelled. I yelled at God. And I said, I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense. And it wasn't just the powered yell of anger. It was the yell of, with tears and frustration and hurt. What is he doing? Why is everything messed up? Why is this pain here? Why am I being treated this way? Now, psychologists might say that this is some sort of cathartic expression of my grief and disgust, but the Bible calls this kind of action, directing my prayers and acknowledging my affliction before God, it calls it lament. And the Bible gives us permission, it allows us to take our frustration and pain and the acknowledgement of our afflictions right to God. And so I want to tell you, it's okay to go to God with these kinds of words and say, God, this is how it feels. This is how I, I see you treating me. I'm, it's, like, it's like you're destroying me. I'm walled in. I'm, I'm, I'm hurt. You're like bending your bow. Arrows are in my kidneys. I'm filled with bitterness. My face is in the dirt. God, why? Where are you? The good news is that God can take your frustration and pain and affliction. It's okay to tell God these things. It's okay to bring it to him and express our anger towards him. But we must not stop there. Lamenting allows us to have hope 
And the first thing that we must do is to actually lament, actually acknowledge our affliction and to grieve those things, to grieve those losses and to cry out with them. But, but true lament, a lament that allows us to hope, has a turning point. It sits on a hinge. And so it means that we don't just stay in our afflictions and sorrows, but the hinge turns and we, we come to a place where we remember our God. This is the second thing that's here for us, that we, we express and we acknowledge our affliction, but then we turn to him and we remember him. Lament that turns into singing is lament that remembers who he is. Look with me at verses 19 through 24. So we get to the end of verse 18, and, and the poet is saying, my endurance has perished. My hope is gone. So is my hope from the Lord. Uh, the Old Testament scholar Christopher Wright, he makes an excellent observation here about this, this passage at the lowest point in the book here in verse 18. Everything is lost. They have no hope. And yet the last word here in verse 18, the last word of the sorrow at this moment is the name of God, Yahweh. The great I am is there. The poet says, I have no endurance. There's no hope. I'm at the end of my rope, even from the Lord, but he is there. Wright states, to name Yahweh in the same breath as lamenting the loss of future and hope is oxymoronic. It's a contradiction in terms. With Yahweh in the picture, the God who will be what he will be, there cannot not be a future. There cannot not be hope. And that's how we turn. We see that God is in the picture. God is there in our lament. If we only stopped with, with acknowledging our afflictions, we would perhaps be bitter, dried up, angry, sad, hard people. But, but seeing the Lord and seeing who he is allows us to turn in our affliction and to bring it to him and to remember who he is. Verses 19 through 21 get us in on the self-talk of the poet himself. We, we go into his mind and heart and kind of hear what he's thinking. And, and this is how he expresses it. He says, remember, he's saying to himself, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the, the wormwood, the gall, the poison, the, the agony. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. He's looking in on himself and he's saying, like, there's the hardship, there's the, the wormwood, the gall, the afflictions, the, the, the exile, the wandering. It's all there and I know it well. My soul won't let up on it. It remembers it continually. I'm just constantly humbled and in the dirt. It's there. But that's not all he's remembering. In his, in his thoughts here, in his talk about himself, his thinking, he, he comes to a, a new reality. Verse 21, he says, but this I call to mind. Three times there in these three verses, remembrance is important. It's part of the game. He's remembering his afflictions. He's remembering constantly his agony. But then he calls to mind. He remembers something new, something powerful. He says, this I call to mind, and I have hope. This is the power of knowing God. This is the power of, of coming to his word and seeing him. Because to have a remembrance, to have a mindset, to be able to, to reflect on something new in the midst of our agonies and sufferings that brings hope means that our hearts and minds are built on something deep. That, that we have a capacity, we have, maybe I could say it this way, a theology of knowing who God is. 
He says, I call to mind and I have hope. What does he call to mind and have hope about? It's God. Lament requires that, that we lift our eyes to him. He remembers God is in the room. His last word, I have no endurance, no patience, no hope from the Lord, but oh, the Lord. Who is the Lord? I like the saying by the Scottish pastor, Robert Murray McShane, goes something like this, for every one look that you take at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ, and, and that's what he does here. It's impossible for God to be in the room and for there not to be hope. So he remembers he calls to mind. He brings up what he knows is true about God. And what does he declare? What does he know that's true about God? Verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, we like to sing that song, and it's a beautiful one. We'll sing it in just a little bit. We like to sing that song when things are good. Yes, great is the faithfulness of God. His love is, is abounding. His, his steadfast love never ceases. Mercies never come to an end. But, but capture this. Jeremiah is singing this. He's saying this at the worst day, at the bottom, when it's all out. And he's remembering the nature of God, God's covenantal love. The Lord, the Lord abounding in steadfast love and mercy, patient, slow to anger. This is who he sees and reminds himself of who God is. Friends, this is powerfully good news for us. God's mercy and his love cannot run out. We like to think of sometimes of God's love as like a, a prepaid visa card. You know, it's got 50 bucks on it, and we can, we can only spend it, you know, just little, little, little. We, we don't want to lose out on it, and we don't want to see it extinguished or exhausted. And so we, we feel like anytime we need to go to God for his grace, we just take out a little. But, but God's love, his mercy towards us is not a prepaid credit card. It is an inexhaustible ocean of love and mercy to us. Israel deserves everything they're getting. Their sin against God has been so great. And yet Jeremiah is reflecting and saying here, God hasn't given up. His love, his covenant love, his unfailing, unceasing, never-ending, never-giving-up love is there. It's new every morning. And that's because of who God is. Jeremiah can say, great is his faithfulness because he knows God's promises and he knows God's word. God keeps his covenant word. He is true to exactly who he said he would be in every one of his promises. Here's why that's good news for us today. If, if you feel like you're at the bottom, the end of the rope, you've got no more hope, if you, could, if you could resonate even a little with what Jeremiah is agonizing over here, and you say, I, that's just how I feel. Just there I am. I want to point you to the hope that's there in God's grace and his love, the mercies of God that are new every day. I, I want to point your eyes and your attention to God, to, to look on him, to see his grace and his inexhaustible mercy for you. You, you may be at the bottom where you say, my sin is so great, like how, I just, I'm getting what I deserve and here it is and could God love me and, and here's the truth, his love is new and refreshing, it's hope giving every day. Look on him, remember who he is and what he's done for us. 
Look and, and consider Christ who came and lived the perfect righteous life that you have not, that you could not, and see his love for you. Jesus has accomplished what you could not. Look, look on Christ and see as he came and went through the physical and mental and psychological and emotional and relational hell of being betrayed and denied and slandered and mocked and beaten and humiliated and pierced and crushed for you. The scripture tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, displaying and demonstrating God's love. Jesus is coming, he's given himself fully and completely for you in love. And, and the reality of this, seeing Jesus in this way, seeing what he has done, it allows us to hope when our affliction and our suffering is so great. Verse 24 points us to, to how lament allows us to hope. It gets us there because the poet says, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. His soul has a new self-talk. He's, he's been saying, my soul constantly remembers and it's bowed down within me in verse 20. But, but in seeing God and his love and remembering the character of God and his kindness and forgiveness and mercy, his soul is singing a new song. The Lord is my portion. The, the idea of portion here in the Hebrew is the idea of inheritance or reward. It's what you're banking your life on, what you, what you hope to have. It's the best of all things at the end. And he says, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is the one that I'm banking on him. Therefore, I will hope in him. Here's the beauty of what is happening. He's acknowledging his affliction. And he's remembering God. He's remembering God's covenant character, his mercy, his grace, and he brings that before God in prayer and lament, the one he hopes in. And this is where we can come to God ourselves today. In our sorrow, in our affliction, in our loss and grief, whether it's from a relationship, the loss of a family member, the pain and agony of rejection, Lament gives us the ability to sing. It gives us the ability to hope. That, that funeral day in Aberfan in 1966, the congregation sang. Philip was there, the service, and the history, I've looked this up, the history is true on it, that they sang, the service lasted 15 minutes, and they sang two hymns. The community heard scripture read, one of the hymns that they sang was Charles Wesley's hymn, Jesus, Lover of My Soul. Imagine singing this lyric, Jesus, Lover of My Soul, let me to thy bosom fly, while the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high. Hide me, O my Savior, hide, till the storm of life is past. Safe into the haven guide, Oh, receive my soul at last. Imagine singing that while you saw the near waters of a rainstorm bring down a coal slurry on your children. Imagine singing that, hide me, oh, my Savior, hide, while your children were hidden in the ground in the dirt. They sang that song because they believed God was their hope. They believed he was their help. 
in their lament with tears running down their face. They sang, safely guide me, receive my soul at last. You see, lament is a way for us to sing. And it's a way for us to hope with tears in our eyes, with sorrow in our heart, knowing that our Savior hears us and loves us. This morning, let's remember and lament ourselves as well. I want to, as we, as we come and, and we conclude our services today, I want to invite us to do two things. First of all, I'm going to give you space to pray and to acknowledge your affliction before the Lord. Just to silently hear, to, to maybe pick up some of these verses and say them to God. God, this is, in this situation, in this experience, this is how I feel. And to cry out to God in your heart in these ways. And then we will turn and we will remember through the Lord's Supper we will remember through the elements of the bread and the cup what Jesus has done for us so that we have hope in his unfailing love. So take a moment where you're at. And let's just silently pray and acknowledge our afflictions to the Lord. And then I'll lead us in the Lord's Supper. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.